Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning, welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Ray Hollenbach. I'm uh, one of the folks that goes to church here. Uh, good morning to our friends uh, on live stream. Uh, we're glad to see you guys as well. We're actually the other way around. You're seeing us, but we're not seeing you. Uh, Pastor Adam sends his greetings. He spent the last week, he and Heather and uh, really several people from our church represented us at the Vineyard USA National Meeting. And, uh, and it was... Um, it was an amazing time. It was a passing of the baton from baby boomer leadership to Gen X and millennial leadership, uh, and it was wonderful. Uh, I don't know if you know this, because here we are in just wonderful Campbellsville, Kentucky, Mayberry RFD, uh, but uh, there are vineyard churches now in 101 countries, 101 countries uh, around the world, nearly 3,000 Vineyard churches. So Vineyard USA got together, uh, and that represented about 600 or so uh, vineyard churches. So uh, Adam is resting up, and boy, he deserves it because uh, he was working wearing several hats. Um, uh, so that means that uh, uh, I'll be sharing with you today. I, I used to share a lot, and one of my old friends told me that when they heard that I was going to be speaking, they went ahead and canceled their lunch plans and knew that I would go longer than Adam would. So you might want to text somebody right now and just say it's going to be a minute. Uh, no, I'm going to do my best. Uh, uh, there's a clock up there, and uh, I'm going to do my best to try to bring it in in the same way. Um, uh, I, I, I want to share with you guys something that I've actually been brooding on for a couple of years. You know, so now you're going, oh great, it'll really be long. Uh, I've, been, I've been brooding on it for a couple of years and uh, it has to do with the nature of the promises that God uh, makes to us. Um, so all of my children uh, believed, you can go ahead and put up at least the title slide, they believed in uh, the sanctity of the pinky swear. Did you guys ever do the pinky swear, right? Um, uh, you know, it was like, you know, dad, you know, you're not going to forget, are you? You're, you're going to remember. And then, you know, like pinky swear. Uh, now I have a granddaughter who's about to turn 10 and she's already figured out that that's, that's not even solemn enough for me. She just doesn't believe anything that I say. Um, but uh, I can't blame either my children for demanding, you know, the pinky swear or my granddaughter for like just blowing me off altogether because it seems these days that promises uh, are not very good currency. You know what I mean? Uh, they're not even worth the paper that they're written on. Oh wait, we don't, we, we, we speak our promises, right? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very sad. My beloved bride of 36 years, Kimberly, right over there. Um, uh, when we got married, I'm not making this up. When we got married, my mother, who uh, did, uh, did not really trust in the sanctity of promises, told Kim while we were engaged, you might want to get a good education because you never know when you'll need to fall back on it. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, mom, right? Uh, but somehow we've managed to muddle through 36 years together, yes? 
Um, but uh, promises are, you know, it, it seems like really are made to be broken in, uh, in many respects. Business, politics, yes, sadly, even marriage. Uh, um, in modern life, we've trained ourselves to discount promises uh, as nothing more than just like maybe an echo of like the wind blowing. You know, it's like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, dude, all we are is dust in the wind. And that's about as good as promises get. Um, And that's why today's text has been bouncing around in my mind for a very long time because it's so arresting as to what is God's view? Uh, What is God's view of uh, promises? So um, if you brought a Bible today, do you know people, there was an old technology where they spread ink across paper and then they... (laughs) They like glued all the paper together. If you brought a Bible today, you might want to find your way to 2 Peter uh, chapter one, uh, or you, know, you, you could scroll uh, to, uh, to it as well. Uh, but our text for today is gonna be 2 Peter chapter one, uh, verses I think one through four. Yeah, um, so um, let's see here. Put it on the accoutrements of age. There we go. Um, uh, this is Peter, you know, the guy that hung out with Jesus, right? Jesus had, you know, he ministered to multitudes. He had 12 that he was particularly tight with. And then even three more uh, that he was really tight with. Peter was one of those. And uh, this is uh, some of the legacy that Peter left behind. Uh, and here's how it starts. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have, and just a, a quick aside there, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was said, "I'm writing to you guys, right? He's he's writing to me and to you, across centuries and across uh, continents and across cultures. Uh, Peter is writing to us, so this is for us today. Uh, this f- precious faith, this faith was given to you because of the justice." and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Uh, May God give you more and more grace and peace uh, as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Wouldn't you like, by the way, and and all of this is just introduction, wouldn't you like your life to be characterized by just a growing sense of grace and peace in your life? You know, wouldn't it be nice to wake up at 65 and to say, I feel more peace than I did at, you know, 32 or whatever? Uh, and, you know, if it works right, that's, that's the idea. It's not overnight, you know, pow, hit you in the head change, but it is incremental change as we take on more and more of the attributes of our, of our role model of Jesus. Uh, grace and peace as you grow. By his divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Oh, shut up. That can't be true. Can it? God, I mean, I'm okay with his divine power. I'm good with that. But he's given us everything we need for living a godly life. And we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And then verse four, which is really where we're gonna land today. Because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises 
These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the world's corruption that's caused by human desires. This verse four uh, is uh, by far the, um, uh, the, 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 the verse that uh, several years ago caught my attention. And I've just been thinking and praying and thinking about it more and more. And that is that out of this, uh, this I don't know, this vortex that is God uh, filled with, um, uh, we can leave that up for just uh, another moment or two. Um, uh, that you know the, the 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 presence and the person of God uh, filled with glory and excellence. I I don't even know what that would look like, but I like to try to imagine sometimes what it would look like. Um, and coming out of that central presence of God, He gives us His great and precious promises. Um, now. Before we actually get to talking about promises, uh, what I do want to say is that let's not skip over how unusual this is. In the ancient world, and indeed in our world, the gods did not give promises. The gods made demands. Bow, kneel, sacrifice, give. The gods, they... They were the ones that were up on Mount Olympus. They were the ones, you know, who uh, were inside of these temples where child sacrifice was practiced. And there's a good example. The gods make demands. Bring your kid and sacrifice your kid to me. I am Marduk, the god of war. And if you will sacrifice your child, then I will keep you out of war. In the ancient world, but hey, wait. In the modern world, the gods make demands of us. Now, our gods may not have temples, or maybe they do, and it's not the purpose of this talk today to talk about the modern gods. Uh, shout out to Neil Gaiman, American Gods, uh, uh, a challenging but fun book. Um, uh, gods that are uh, the imagination of the human psyche. Gods make demands. But the true God, the one God, the God who created the cosmos by simply speaking. He not only created the cosmos, but then he makes promises to us. Now, why would any God do that? Much less the real God, the true God, the actual God, the only God that actually really exists. Uh, let's not skip over the fact of how unusual it is that the creator of the universe makes promises to us. Why would he do that? He doesn't need to. He doesn't need anything. He's not trying to say, you know, hey, you owe me one now. Um, I don't know. And you're like, you know, driving around this week, if, if you only go that far and you say, wow, the, you know, the, the God who is self-sufficient and needs nothing at all would make promises to us, that's actually astounding. Let's not miss that, Right? So he gives us these great and precious promises. Um, and then, even more amazingly, and, and believe me, I am unqualified to speak about this, um, through these, that is to say the promises, through these promises, um, we might participate in the divine nature. Is that what this particular translation says? This is the new living uh, translation, which is excellent for reading. These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature 
Do, do you know what that means? I don't either. It's, I, it's so cosmic. It is like whatever it is that God is, he makes promises to, to me and to you and something is going to happen in those promises. Something is going to happen in those promises so that we become, uh, uh, it's strange, but we, we become more like him by receiving the promises that he has for us. Um, and I want you to, to not think of that as algebra or calculus. I want you to think of that as relationship. There's, there's something that the self-sufficient creator of the universe speaks to us and it plants a seed in us, it grows in us, and little by little, if things are working right, we become more and more like God. So maybe if you're taking notes, yeah, you know, it's okay, and I'm sorry, college students, but you can take notes even in church. Uh, and that would also be true for baby boomers and Gen Xers and millennials too. You could take notes in church to say that the, the pathway to Christ-likeness is through his promises. According to this verse, the pathway to becoming more and more like Jesus is actually through his promises. And I don't know what partakers of the divine nature means, but it sounds really good. I mean, I'm up for it and I don't even know what it is, okay? Um, uh, some of the earliest church leaders, they, they actually like would build their entire ministry on this. You know that there are, uh, there's Protestants, there's Catholics, there's a whole nother uh, group of, of followers of Jesus called Orthodox, right, you know? And there's like 250 million Orthodox Christian believers around the world. And uh, this particular verse, uh, it goes right to the center of Orthodox uh, theology that we could become, just fascinating, that we could become like Jesus, like him, both in character and in power. Like, I'm, I'm up for it. I just don't know entirely um, how that works. And uh, these promises lift us up so that we become like him. And uh, this is the only thing that I've gotten so far about the divine nature is here's God's nature. God is love, right? First John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who knows God loves God because God is love. Um, you, you can't be married 36 years. You can't raise uh, three children. You can't have friendships that last decades without realizing sometimes the lack of love that even to the people for whom we care the most, that we find ourselves still acting in selfish uh, and petty ways. Just ask my family. Um, and yet the nature of God is love. So yes, I want to partake uh, in the nature of God. And um, this idea that we're going to partake in God's nature, the pathway is through these promises, which we're, we're, we actually will get to. Um, I, I want you to think that the, the, the biblical account is filled with people who have received promises from God. 
you just start to, to, to list them off and you've got like people like Noah and, and Abraham and, and King David, uh, uh, on and on and on. Uh, you know, the Bible is, is well over 50% story, the story of people's lives, right? And so in the story of people interacting with God, uh, this is how God relates to people. Uh, he rarely says, bow, kneel, you know, th- those sort of things. What he says is, I see you, I hear you, I care about you, and I promise that I'll be with you. That's how God deals with people. So if your picture of God includes, uh, you know, the one up on the mountaintop who is demanding things of you and willing to throw lightning bolts if you don't come through. Actually, that's Zeus. That's not the God of Abraham and Isaac uh, and Jacob. So let me ask you, have you ever taken the time to take inventory of the promises of God in your life? I'd, I'd like to suggest that during this week as kind of like a spiritual exercise. Set it as an alarm on your phone for Tuesday at two o'clock, you know. Uh, take inventory of the promises of God. And then now moving into it, because that, yes, was the introduction. Um, they fall in primarily two categories. And, and this is deep, deep, deep theology. Uh, biblical promises and promises that he speaks to our heart. So if you're going to take uh, stock of the promises of God, you can find many of them in the B-I-B-L-E. And you can also think back, whether you are 18 years old or whether you are 58 years old, happy birthday, Kimberly. Um, Think back of all the way that God has led you and think about like what God has spoken to your heart, right? Biblical promises and personal promises. Um, And let's spend the rest of our time breaking these down. From uh, Genesis to Revelation, the scripture is filled with promises. Uh, Maybe you've even, you know, carried in your purse or something like a little Bible promise book. Or uh, when I was growing up in the evangelical subculture, they actually had like little ceramic things that resembled a loaf of bread and then little slips of paper, and it was bread for today, and they were like promises, right? Uh, And I must have gotten one that was developed by a spiritual sadist, because every time I'd pull out like a biblical promise out of the little bread thing, it would be like, beware lest I tear you in pieces. (laughs) Try it again, you know. Let him who does not work not eat. I'm like, get rid of that thing, right? You know, because, you know, we can pick and choose the biblical promises uh, that, uh, that are there. Um, through his promises uh, in the scripture, uh, nature, creation itself is protected and preserved. Families, based on the promises of God, pack up and move. Well, that's insane. Who would ever pack up and move because God asked them to? Uh, nations are birthed because of the promises of God, all on the promises of God. Uh, Through the scripture, the Lord reveals his presence, sends his spirit, etches his name on our hearts. That's a promise that his name 
can be etched in our heart. And then you get to the back of the book towards Revelation, and it's, here's a promise. Um, God is, is, is going to give you a white stone on which will be a new name and a new identity that only you and he will know. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds to me achingly beautiful, and I want me that white stone. And it, and it does kind of speak of the fact that only God truly knows us. So, you know, you can be married, you can love your kids, um, but only God really knows us. Um, these promises are plain and they are written for all of us. And this is the part where the baby boomer preacher holds up the Bible and shakes the leather book, right? Written in the word of God, uh, which by the, I have a leather Bible. I use it, right? Written by the word of God. Um, uh, the, the book is chock full of promises, but wait, what was that? I'm sorry? You're thinking, but these are generalizations. They're abstractions that are, that are meant to describe the almighty. They're, they're, they're little more than just religious churchy words that are spoken into the air as like a comfort from a distant God. I mean, there's a freaking lot of promises in the Bible, right? So how do we know which ones are for us and which ones are not? Um, I've certainly been tempted to think such thoughts about Bible promises. Um, what has saved me sometimes from ignoring all of the promises are the times that his Holy Spirit visits me up close and whispers to me in my ear while I'm reading the Bible and says, you see that one? That's for you. Uh, in other words, we, we never read the scriptures alone. The, the Holy Spirit is right there with us. And so we have to read with our eyes, but listen to the voice of the Spirit uh, with our ears. Uh, and, and this is what's really important, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So we're on to two types of promises. We're talking about biblical promises. Here's a dynamic. When we read the Bible, we need the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to actually point things out to us for this season in our life, Right? Because not every promise in the Bible is for every person all the time. Uh, I'll give you, give you one example. Um, when I was a college student, which was some time ago, um, I read uh, that by his stripes, uh, King James speak, by the wounds on Jesus' back, uh, you were healed. It's, it's, a, it's a Petrine verse. Uh, by Jesus' wounds, you were healed, past tense. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking, yeah, well, I wear glasses. I did even in college. And I think, huh, well, that's like, it's kind of like an illness, right? I mean, my, you know, I don't see so good. But the Bible says that I was healed uh, on the cross, right? So I'm, I'm not making this up. Sophomore year in college, I took my glasses off. I put them on the desk of my dorm room. And I began to go to college fellowship and testify, God has healed my eyesight, past tense. And people are like, whoa, really? And I go, oh yeah, I used to wear glasses. I don't need them now. And you see, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna believe those lying symptoms or are you gonna believe the word of God? Right? And so I testified. God has healed my eyesight for the rest of my sophomore year. Wait, it gets worse. All of my junior year and all of my senior year at Illinois State University, home of the Fighting Redbirds, um, I, 
I told people God has healed my website. And finally, one of my friends uh, who was driving with, I was driving, it was night. And he's like, dude, you've almost hit the curb like three times. Are you telling the truth about God healing your eyesight? And I go, well, it's the truth because it's the truth. And he said, I ain't riding with you anymore. (laughs) True story, right? So, but such is my pride. I waited until I graduated from college and moved to another city before I put them back on, right? Now, I'm pointing this out to say the, the promise of healing is in the scriptures. Here at this vineyard, just in you know, little bitty you know, Mayberry, we've seen some remarkable healings. I mean, remarkable, life-changing healings. So I'm, I'm not trying to discount the promises of God about healing. I am trying to say is that the biblical promises are not just a cherry, a list to cherry pick and go, I believe I'll have me some of that, have me some of that. We need the Holy Spirit to be the executor. We need the Holy Spirit to be the executor, the steward of the promises of God to tell us when those sort of things are available for us, right? Um, and uh, there have been times, both my wife and I, where because of a particular verse in the Bible, we've, we've, we've literally like staked our claim, even made our risks, placed our bets because the Holy Spirit made those things alive to us, right? So you should rest in the promises of God, the written promises of God, but uh, you should do it in a dynamic relationship. The Bible is not a book of contracts. It is a book that brings us into relationship with Jesus. To share in the divine nature is to share in the love of God. If you treat the Bible as a book of contract, you're sharing in the nature of a lawyer, not God. No offense. Um, the Bible, the Bible is a relational book and needs to be read relationally. And then the Holy Spirit can, can give us those promises. And here's one that, that, I've, that I've kept all of my life uh, as a promise. It's very, very simple. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now there's a promise, right? There's a promise. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I've held on to that promise and it has sustained me and my wife and our, our family through some, you know, everybody has difficult stuff in life, right? It's, uh, uh, then there are times when there are promises of healing and you, and you get the sense of this is for us, it's for now, and you boldly step out and indeed people do get healed. Um, every promise in the scripture is available to us. Did you like the way that Marcus opened up the meeting when he read uh, out of First Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter one, uh, especially verse 20? Uh, Marcus reads really well because he reads with like some energy and some passion, right? And is as many as are the promises of God, in Jesus is the yes and the amen. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the guarantor of God's promises. Uh, Jesus is, I I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Jesus is God's predetermined yes. Everything that has been purchased for us uh, comes through Jesus, okay? Uh, 
So let me encourage you that, you know, if you've lived any number of years of all, at all, to actually take stock of which scriptural promises have really become a part of your life. And there will be more and more and more. Um, so uh, we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the executor. This is me reading my notes to figure out where I am. Um, difference between a, Bible, uh, between a promise and a contract. Okay, uh, second point. Uh, what about personal promises? What about what God has whispered to you? You're driving the car. You're minding your own business. You're not being all holy on a mountaintop retreat. You're, you're, you're walking down the street. Uh, you're falling asleep late at night. You're, you're holding your child and feeling that breath right there. And somehow promises uh, become real to us that you wouldn't find in the Bible. Uh, now, any parent will tell you, any parent will tell you that God has come to them and whispered to them in the day or in the night promises about the life of their child. Um, God comes close in our most important relationships and whispers promises. And if we are wise, we'll listen. We'll, we'll even write them down. You, you, you ever, you ever forget about a promise somebody made to you? And then they fulfill the promise and, and you go, oh, that was so nice of you. And they said, no, I told you last year I was going to do this, right? Except, you know, for God, it was, you know, I told you eternity ago. Uh, if you're taking notes, Titus chapter one, verse three, um, Titus uh, one, three actually says um, uh, that God was making promises to us before the foundation of the earth. How about that? I mean, pretty amazing. Okay, so what are some personal promises uh, that God uh, has, has made to you? I, I, I'm, I'm here, literally here today, to urge you to go further down that pathway of partaking in the divine nature by taking inventory of the promises, both biblical and personal. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll share one biblical promise. I'm sorry, one personal promise that God made to me. And God made it to me when I was in my 20s. And you're, you're going to see immediately that, you know, some promises take some sorting out, okay? So I, I had this sense from the time I was a teenager. From the time I was a teenager, uh, into my 20s and 30s and 40s, and I still have it today. This was the promise that God made to me. It's not in the Bible. Uh, God said, um, Ray, you are destined for some great thing. And you're going, well, doesn't he have an exalted opinion of himself, right? And believe me, when God speaks to you as a 19-year-old like that, and then you revisit it as a 22-year-old and as a 28-year-old, no offense to the people that are younger, um, you know, it's like, hey, I'm destined for some great thing, right? But here's what's happened, is that over the ensuing five additional decades, God has been teaching me what greatness is in his kingdom. 
And so he made the promise to me when I was too young, too foolish, too full of myself to understand the promise. And even now, five decades later, he is still teaching me that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all, right? It's, it's all throughout the gospels. Jesus says it time and time again. And the promise is entirely 100% completely true. I'm destined for greatness. God's put it in me. Now, this, this brings up something. We have to walk out the promises of God. We have to, they're, they're not prophecies. One of my children uh, read the, the Percy Jackson books. Any Percy Jackson fans out there? Come on. Yeah, okay, you can admit it, right? Um, and uh, those books, especially the first set, every book opens with a prophecy, and the prophecy is actually like the key to the plot of the book, right? And in every single instance, the prophecy comes true, but not in a way that anybody would ever expect. I'm gonna say, though, that there's a difference between the prophetic and the promises of God, okay? Because the prophetic are, well, the prophetic can be encouragement and it can be uh, uh, edification and uh, you know, things like that, but the prophetic can also be predictive. The promises of God are not predictive. They are relational assurances between God and each one of his sons or daughters. You see, so the promises are neither a contract nor are the promises uh, uh, prophecies. They are God's pathway so that we can become more and more like him. And so, Ray, it might take you five decades to really begin to even have any kind of inkling as to what greatness is. But, you know, hey, Lord, thanks. Um, let me give you an example from the scripture. I can do this. Give me an example from the scripture of a personal promise. It's not quite Christmas time, but heck, that doesn't stop Walmart, so why should it stop us, right? Do you remember in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter two, that Mary and Joseph bring little bitty baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated? And who's in the temple? An old, old man named Simeon and an old, old woman named Anna. And it's... it's it's breathtakingly beautiful because it says that Simeon, an old man who had dedicated at that point his life to prayer and to intercession at the temple, it says he had been promised by God that he, Simeon, would live to see the consolation of Israel, the Messiah, right? And he's old, but in come you know, Mary and Joseph and probably, you know, a very, very young baby, maybe eight days, something like that. And you understand the temple is filled with young parents dedicating their children to the Lord. There's this one and there's that one. And to me, they all look like Winston Churchill. I mean, you can't tell one from another. No offense. To, uh, I'm going to offend as many people as I can today, <laughs> right? Um, no offense, moms who think your babies, they all look the same to me. No, shut up, Ray. Come on. Get a, get a, Simeon, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, takes the child in his arms, probably, we don't know for sure, eight days old. And he looks at the baby, excuse me, he looks at the baby, and then he says, now you can dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen the consolation of Israel. 
that you can read from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, because you know this is an early New Testament story. Genesis, there is no promise that says, Simeon will hold the Messiah in his arms. Simeon will see the Messiah. That promise was spoken to Simeon through the spirit into his heart. And then notice that it actually, it is actually fulfilled in an eight day old child, which is to say that it even takes the presence of the Holy Spirit to confirm to us that God is working and fulfilling and right there in, in those promises. Does that make sense? So whether it's, Ray, you're destined for greatness. Oh, well, it'll take us 50 years to even get you a clue as to what that means. Um, or Simeon, right? And then Simeon calls over uh, Anna, uh, a widow, probably 84 years old, right? And, and she begins to prophesy to uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? It, it was a remarkably holy moment in the middle of a massive temple where people were coming and going, and you know, only four people knew what was going on. Which by the way, is the best kind of promises, right? It's wonderful. What has God done? It's promises, not prophecies. Um, So believe it or not, friends, I'm close to being done. And um, I've been watching when Pastor Adam speaks. He ends at 11.05. I'm determined to bring it in at 11.04. Pastor Adam does this, and it's it's so useful frequently. If you've got notes on your phone or if you've got the old-fashioned ink and a piece of paper, you you might want uh, these four considerations. So here we go. Here's the homework, Okay. Um, number one, write it down in the notes on your phone. Write it down in your notebook, your journal. What has God promised me, biblically or personally? And don't try to answer it like just this moment. Like live with that for a while. What has God promised me, biblically or personally? Number two, do I remember his promises? I mean, you know, besides the fact that I'm in my 60s and I'm forgetful, the very truth is, is that life gets in the way and we can forget the promises of God when what we should be doing is ordering our life around the promises of God. Wouldn't it be terrible if the creator of the cosmos has made a promise to me or to you and we go on thinking that if I could just make 250K a year, all my problems would be solved. Do I remember the promises? He spoke to you as a little girl, as a young man. He spoke to you as a young mother. He spoke to you as a a stressed out 35-year-old dad trying to take care of his family. He spoke to you in your illness or in your chronic illness. He has spoken to you. Number three, Am I, really, am I willing to risk trusting those promises? Am I willing to roll the dice, right? I was willing to put my glasses down and boldly testify to the goodness of God. Well, actually, you know, that was pride and bravado, right? 
But the truth is, is that, um, you know, if, if, if I make a promise to you, you should probably be very cautious. But if God makes a promise to you, are you willing to risk those promises, risk based on those promises? That was number three. And number four, we actually participate with him. I can do this. Um, how can I live into these promises? How can I actually take steps to live into these promises? Hebrews 6.12 says this, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Wait, so God makes the promise, but our response requires faith and patience. Anybody see In the Heights, the really cool musical, either, I didn't see it on Broadway, but I saw the movie. It was, yeah, there's a grandma, there's an abuela, and she says what? I'm, I don't speak Spanish, but it's like, fe y pacencia. I'm probably like brutally, but the grandma is trying to tell the generations from the Dominican Republic that are in Washington Heights in New York City, it's faith and it's patience. And boy, you get to the end of that movie, and of course, they're all beautiful, and they're all singing and dancing, and you believe, man, faith and patience will get it done. Thank you, abuela. All right? And how can I live into his promises? Hebrews 6.12, faith and patience. So there you go. Oh, the clock just turned to 11.05. <laughs> oh, it kills me. It kill, I can't tease Adam. Oh, man, that's the worst. Okay, um, so what's vineyard liturgy, right? You know, Anglicans have a liturgy, Catholics have a liturgy, Baptists have a liturgy. What's our liturgy? Would you please stand? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>